Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Aaron. Today, we're talking about NFT law, copyright law. What you own, what you think you own, what can you do, what can't you do, how to mint an NFT, and what is legal. That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today is Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. Today is Apple's spring event. I can't wait to see what products they have coming out. I want a desktop computer, a 27-inch iMac with a good camera. 120 hertz refresh rate for the screen, thinner bezels, and that M1 chip. If they come up with that, I am making a purchase today, and I think I need a new Apple TV, by the way. Okay, these are things that I want. <laughs> crypto is probably down today. We're going to take a look at crypto prices very soon, but I'm going to let you know before we get into today's conversation, this is a longer episode, and I apologize. Some of these episodes get really long, longer than the 15 minutes that I really want to stick to, but this conversation and some of these topics are just so involved that we have to go a little bit longer so that we can start learning about these issues. Also, I just want to remind everybody that Fridays is the listener questions answered episode. So if you have questions you want to ask, please send them to Matthew Aaron at decrypt.co. That's listener questions. Send them to me, Matthew Aaron at decrypt.co. Because of the length of this conversation, I'm not going to do headlines today, but we are going to do those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. And I'm recording this at 1115 Eastern Standard Time. We have a kind of a bloodbath out there. It's not too bloody. It's like a paper cut. Bitcoin's in at 55000 I know like $55,000 of Bitcoin is a bloodbath, right? Come on, Matt. Talk about exaggeration. $55,385, down 3.3% from yesterday. Number two spot, Ethereum, $1,716, down 3.9%. Binance in the number three spot at two sixty eighty five, down 2.6%. Tether in the number four, Cardano number five at 117 down 1.8%. And Polkadot number six at $35.20, down 6.5%. Total market cap, we're at $1.72 trillion, with a BTC dominance of 59.8%. Getting into our conversation today, we're going to get into NFT law. And to do that, we have to talk about trademarks and copyrights. What is possession? What is ownership? And we're going to start using more contemporary news articles that have happened in the past couple of weeks, buys and sells, for example, with Top Shots and Banksy's, to kind of go through and preface all of this. I'm welcoming on Tanya Evans, who is a professor at the Penn State Dickerson Law School, as well as on the board for the MakerDAO Foundation. And we dive into a 101, maybe 102 level conversation about what it means to own, possess, mint NFTs. Enjoy this conversation and I'll see you after the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. 100 percent i am very excited to talk to you we've been playing this for a long time and i finally got you in chair in front of the microphone and i'm talking about nft ip legal issues everybody's making nfts these days and they are putting it on the blockchain they're trying to get rich sell it for millions of dollars but you know what there's some things you can and cannot do if it's not yours and you're going to talk to us about that 
Absolutely. I'm really excited about the space, but I also, you know, the cautious lawyer and law professor in me always wants to make sure that people are moving in the space safely and legally and confidently. And so I'm glad that we have a few minutes to talk about the intellectual property issues generally, and then I'll focus on copyright particularly or specifically. Um, And at the beginning, I think it's important to for people to understand what intellectual property is. There are two basic types of property. We classify it either as tangible, we can touch it, we can feel it, we can see it, or intangible. So it is something that doesn't take a tangible form, but still has value. The law will still recognize value. And so intellectual property issues, property created with the mind, sometimes we talk about it in that way, that is intangible property, but oftentimes can take a tangible uh, manifestation. And I'll say a little bit more about that later. There are four basic types of intellectual property. And so at the outset, it's really important for people to understand the different types. Sometimes I hear people referring to uh, patent when they should be referring to trademark and trademark when they intend to uh, focus on copyright. So trademark focuses on a word, a phrase, a symbol, or a device, anything that signals to a consumer that there is a specific business or person selling a specific good or service. So the classic example is um, coming to America is coming to America too, because it will never be coming to America one, uh, is out recently. One of the infamous parts of coming to America one that that they uh, carry over is um, the difference between McDonald's and McDowell's, right? You can go anywhere in the world and see the golden arches. You may not even know what they actually sell, but you know that they are selling something. Every time you see the golden arches, um, you know that it's McDonald's, that they have a, and it's a very, very strong mark. And there's a lot of power in trademarks, but that's not a copyright. And actually, there are some issues in the space where people may be misappropriating a trademark, um, giving the appearance of having some type of sponsorship. And so that's something that people should be worried about as well. If you're using it to identify the actual business or the good or service, that's not problematic. But to misappropriate it and mischaracterize the intention, suggesting that uh, there's some sponsorship, that's something that people should be worried about or or Mm -hmm. concerned uh, about. Then you have patent. So patent gives, it's a federal law as well, trademark is as well, gives exclusive rights to an inventor, the inventor of a thing, a product, or a process that is useful, that it's novel, meaning never been done before, and that it's not obvious. The law rewards people who take more than incremental steps. They want to leave much of it as the tools of building and innovation. But sometimes people make a really important step in terms of invention, and that protection lasts for 20 years. That is not copyright. We also have trade secret, which is a state-by-state law. And uh, think of like uh, the recipe for Bush beans or for Coca-Cola, right? Mm. People have been trying to deconstruct that forever. And it's a huge secret. It's the type of thing where even though we experience it, you can't exactly um, deconstruct it, right? So as long as you keep that secret, that's another way for people to uh, protect certain types of inventive steps. Um, That is not copyright. The thing that we'll focus our time uh, together on is talking about another federal law, copyright, and it, it, you know, I'm speaking from the perspective of of the United States. I'm sure you will have listeners who will be all around the world. So Mm -hmm. you'll have to pay attention to the laws in your particular jurisdiction at an international level. 
each many countries sign on to international treaties and conventions and respect the laws of each other, but I'm focused on the US. So federal law, it gives the owner of original artistic or literary works, broadly speaking, and there's some categories. Um, and in fact, software is considered a literary work, just so everyone knows as well. But that original artistic or literary work that's fixed in a tangible medium of expression, and it's kind of jargony lawyer words, but at, underneath it, copyright is actually a bundle of rights. It's not just one. Mm -hmm. And so it's the right to copy, most obviously, uh, the right to distribute those copies, the right to adapt. So you can take, if I have a copyright in a book and I sell those rights to become a play or a film, those secondary rights derived from the original. So the right to adapt, uh, the right to perform a work publicly if it's capable of being performed and a right to display the work publicly if it's capable of being displayed. And that's really important in the NFT space because we have so many visual artists and we have musicians coming into the space who have the right to copy, the right to distribute, to make creative adaptations of things and also to display or perform. That's where people start to get into trouble as well. And so I wanted to talk with you about the ways that artists, um, if they're collaborating with someone else or they um, are using bits of copyrighted work, works out there to make a collage or to repurpose or transform that work, certain unauthorized uses are um, permissible, even if you don't have the permission of the owner. People have to be really careful because I've heard a lot of cautionary tales of people who have unintentionally or unfortunately intentionally use the whole work of other people because they call themselves an artist and now that ownership is represented in a token form and, and that has become uh, problematic as well. I'm just going to give everybody a little bit of a time here to go grab a pen and a piece of paper and start taking notes because I'm over here just scribbling away. I went, I'm, I'm back in school and you're taking me to school and I really like that. I really like, like how you broke it down at the beginning. Thank you very much for this. Um, I appreciate giving the de definitions of everything. So I, I know now we're talking about copyright and now we're, please let's go into the NFTs. When, when we have these different entities, people, artists, um, enthusiasts, or people who want to profit making NFTs, can you just give us a guideline of what they can, what they can't do? And also I want to do this and frame this for a way is because sometimes the purchaser is buying something that might have not been uh, able to be, put in an NFT form. And I want, I don't want, I want them to be protected. I, want, I don't want somebody to buy something that is actually stolen or forged or, or, or something. And they get their self in trouble and not able to use it the way that they intended it by purchasing it. Absolutely. And, and so you bring up some really important points. Well, oftentimes you'll hear uh, lawyers talking about artists' rights, and those are critically important as well. But the unknowing or unwary um, investor who legitimately just wants from a good faith perspective to pick up some really cool art, but not knowing for certain that the artist, the one who um, has, can, and then let's talk about uh, briefly what NFTs are, right? NFT is the um, evidence of ownership, the verifiable evidence of ownership, the value in it's a unique form of token, non-fungible means it's only one and it's not interchangeable with another uh, non-fungible token and in contrast to cryptocurrencies, right? One Bitcoin, please send it my way, is um, the same as any other Bitcoin. One dollar, the same as another. 
even technically with a serial number. NFTs, not so much. And so you really want to be sure that if you are the purchaser of the right to control, the right to um, sell, the right to license, the right to transfer, that the underlying asset, the file that that NFT is inextricably linked to, is something that the seller actually controls. And a lot of people are getting in hot water in that way. I've seen a lot of platform takedowns where uh, somebody says, hey, good for you for selling NFTs, but that underlying creative file, I own that and you have to take it down. The Digital Millennium Copyright Act is the reason that you can go to a platform, you see your work up there, and then you would file what's called a takedown notice. You would send that notice to that platform. And we've seen a lot of takedowns where that, that investor is left unaware. There are a lot of terms of service that says, the platform says, we're providing a service. We're not vetting all of this information. Good luck and may the force be with you. And there, you know, end up being SOL if it turns out that artist doesn't have rights in the file that's connected with uh, the, um, that NFT. You know, I have a couple of questions that have been in the news lately. And I want to talk about minting. Tweets, screenshots, People have been minting those and turn those into NFTs. Is that actually illegal? Well, it depends. So it's interesting. So when Jack does it on Twitter, first of all, you know, he is Twitter. Second of all, he's, you know, he minted his uh, first tweet, which is interesting. I don't recall the price that it went for. I think it's been sold or maybe it's still up in auction. I don't have that in front of me, but it depends on um, the rights that attach every centralized platform has its own terms of of service. But most of those uh, social media platforms say, hey, you're the creative person, you're creating on our platform, you give us a non-exclusive, irrevocable right to display it publicly. Remember, that's one of the rights in the bundle. But otherwise, if I'm creating in real time, one thing I didn't say earlier, the way that um, copyright comes into existence is automatically, as soon as you have some original creative or, or <clears throat> excuse me, literary artistic work that's fixed, meaning once I've typed it, once I've written it, once I've recorded it, copyright attaches. Um, you actually can't sue anyone for infringement until you register, but registration is not required for the rights to exist, only to enforce them. Um, and so that's a long way around the bend to say it depends, but even when we're creating on social media platforms, we would be the the, um, original owner of the copyright in the creativity, but we've also given a license to the platform to publicly display it. Is there a loophole here? I just got off the conversation with an artist the other day, and they said that original works are their own works. No matter if you're drawing, say, the Joker or Batman or Superman, who is owned by DC, you can still draw or paint uh, the Joker on the staircase, you know, like from the most recent movie. Uh, and, and that's still your work of art. And you can sell that. You can't make copies of that and, or, or mass print it, but you can sell that one original. Is there a loophole with NFTs and say with screenshots or tweets or whatever it is that maybe has somebody else has the copy and you just like draw a smiley face on it too and say that's my original work of art and now I'm NFTing it? So if you're saying that there's an original copyright, so the first point is the copyright in well-developed characters. Rest assured that in um, if you were trying to mass merchandise something having to do with Mickey Mouse, you would get a knock on the proverbial door, <laughs> as I said. So um, that we might have to come back and have a fuller discussion about the protection of copyrighted 
works in, in a well-defined character, it's the way that we talk about it in copyright law. But let's say you have an existing um, um, character or image, somebody, some third-party work, and you are adding to it. That brings us to the conversation about fair use, a fair use of something that exists for an artistic or transformative purpose. Um, there are four factors that a court would use in order to determine whether there is some unauthorized use that's still permitted by law, because not all unauthorized use is um, an infringement that is actionable. Sometimes you have an infringement, but there's a legal excuse. One of those legal excuses is fair use. And that is to encourage artists to take what exists now and to transform. And the idea is that that is really valuable to society when we have artists that are giving back into the world, making something new. So the uh, quickly, the, uh, the four factors, and one, the one in particular is quite important, is why are you using it? The purpose or character of use. Is it for a non-commercial purpose? Is it for an educational purpose? Is it verbatim copying is problematic, but adding something is different? So a uh, part of that is this word, which is a term of art and copyright, transformative use, where it is so different from the original that, um, or you're making a statement, a comment, criticism, a parody, satire, things of that nature are very well protected in this space. It's one of four factors, but it's an important one. Also the nature of the copyrighted work, is it highly creative? Right, so, or is it something where I write a copyright book, there's only so many different ways to talk about copyright, right? So unless it's pure verbatim, you could take almost all of the same words because there's only a certain number of ways that you can say certain plain things. It wasn't very creative, I was restating the law, right? Then there's the amount or substantiality of the use. How much did you actually use of the first work? Was it the mm -hmm. whole thing? And that doesn't necessarily make it wholesale infringement, but it, it might be more problematic than a part of the thing adding to something else, like those pure form collages. And the final thing is what's the impact of your use on the market value of the other work? Have you used so much that nobody needs to go get the old song because now they have everything in yours, for example. We only scheduled this for 15 minutes, but this is just so damn interesting. Can I keep asking questions? Go for it. Thank you, I really appreciate that. If you ever just wanna hang up on me, that's that's totally cool. But I, I have two more questions that are around recent news and the the, First question is about the Banksy and how Banksy's art was purchased by someone, burned, or first uh, then uh, took and put on NFT, then mm -hmm. burned the original, and then sold the digital copy at four times what they paid for. I think they bought the Banksy for $100,000 and ended up selling the NFT for like $370,000 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Is that fair use? Is, is, is that what the, can you get in trouble for that? Great question. I'm so glad that you asked this because it gets to the heart of, you asked me earlier, what are the rights specifically in a copy of a work? In copyright, we talk about the original copy. The first copy is the master copy. Um, most often you'll hear the term master in um, the recording industry, right? You have masters and then you make copies from that master, that master recording. The same uh, might be said in the artistic space where the creator of that original painting uh, uh, work of art owns the underlying bundle of intellectual property and has initial ownership of that physical manifestation, that physical, physical expression, the painting, uh, the, the artwork, um, and then they sell it. And the person who purchases the copy in the same way, if I buy a book, 
I can do whatever I want to with that book. Um, that doesn't mean I own the underlying rights to it, right? Except, and to your point, I can't uh, copy it, I can't distribute it, I can't adapt it, I can't publicly display or perform. Uh, we're talking about a book now, but you get the point. But I own that physical copy and I can do with it what I want unless I've signed some agreement. The slight difference is here in the, in the United States, we don't protect two, uh, one type of right that has a couple of um, different branches and it's called moral rights, M-O-R-A-L. European nations are great about protecting two main things. I think they're actually three, but two immediately come to mind. The right of attribution, meaning no matter who owns this piece, you will always know that I was the original creator. And also the um, right of integrity, that means I don't care who owns it, you can't destroy it unless you have my express permission. And so this gets to your ultimate point as uh, assuming this all happened in a space where there were no moral rights attached to that work or uh, somehow they were transferred. You can do whatever you want with the copy as long as you are not doing any of the, the uh, exclusive rights in that bundle of rights uh, known as copyright. But in this case, fine, it's your original copy and you burn it, that's great. But you actually copied the copy and sold it for a profit. Is that? What, is there a legal case um, challenging the copying? No, I, there isn't, but I'm wondering if there could be. Um, I guess it depends on, it, that's one of, unfortunately I have to give you an it depends lawyerly answer that is I mean, yeah, very It's true, it's true. <laughs> I would, let me look into it more and we're gonna, we're gonna spend more time together and I can unpack it. But without knowing more, and I didn't see any type of legal pushback to the copying, so I, I, I don't I don't know enough to speak um, with certainty on, on that. No, that, that, that's okay because I was just really interested that that how this could be like a new snowball thing, either for the artists or people who want to purchase original works, uh, destroy them. Which actually, I don't know if that does anything good for society to to destroy the original physical works of art and then put them into a digital format to make mm -hmm. a profit. I, so I'm just really curious about the legality of this. My last question of this though is we've been talking about minting and creating a lot of NFT art, but I also want to talk about ownership. Can you do me a favor before I ask this last question and tell me what is ownership? Ownership, it's interesting. It comes right out of the first year of law school when we talk about first possession and what possession means. There's a kind of a misnomer, probably from a, a, an early, early case about uh, possession is nine tenths of the law, that type of thing. If I actually have physical custody of it, there's a fair presumption, although that certainly can be overcome, that I own it. I might be holding it um, in trust for someone else or as a bailment for someone else. But if I have uh, can exercise um, possession over something, that speaks a lot to my relationship to that piece of property. I also think of in a rough kind of analog analogy, if I have the deed to a home, the deed isn't the home, but it is evidencing my ownership of that property. Mm -hmm. And you might think about the NFT as extra being a rough equivalent to a deed to other property because the NFT is really, um, it, it exercises ownership. It's our ability to, to uh, communicate with a blockchain, to uh, evidence the transactions that have happened from ownership to ownership, from, uh, from tr uh, transfer to transfer, wallet to wallet. But it also is a reference point to some other file, the file of whatever the creativity is as well. And they are inextricably linked through smart contracts and they, they roll together, right? Um, till death do they part. And by death, we, you can burn a token, but that's the only way that you can ever you know, get rid of it. So exercising ownership is my ability 
to exclude other people. This is part of, 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 of property. My ability to use and enjoy something um, and a number of other uh, rights that, that attach when you can exercise control over and therefore I can sell it, I can license it and, and all of those things. So that's what ownership is. And then we're always talking about ownership of the underlying asset to your point. What's the, what's the creativity? What's the collectible? What's the real estate? I know they're using NFTs in other ways beyond creativity. So those two things go together, but I'm glad that you asked that question because it's not the same. Owner, ownership of the NFT that references some other asset, either digital or real world, which is an interesting use case as well. And thank you for that. Um, and the reason why I wanted to preface this, because it seems as though we have a theme in the past couple of questions. And that theme was, well, I own my Banksy. I can do what I want with it. I can burn it and I can turn it into NFT. It's mine. I own that. Um, and then we just heard your definition of ownership. But I wanted to go into like, and we don't have to preface this as just the NBA, but NBA Top Shots. And NBA Top Shots, you are getting their NFTs sometimes paying a lot for them, but there are requirements or restrictions of what you can do with those NFTs. You can't put it into your work of art. You can't alter it. You can't blah, blah, blah. You know, all these different restrictions you can. So NFT, as we said, it's you basically having the deed to something. You're, you have ownership, but then that ownership comes with restrictions. And that comes, seems to be in violation of what we've been talking about, the definition of ownership, plus what we're seeing happen with other works of art, like uh, Banksy. So I'm kind of curious, how does the NFT and the idea of ownership and the idea of minting something that is yours, plus with these restrictions, come into that contradiction? And how do you navigate that? And how do you interpret that as somebody who's purchasing something that you think is yours, but maybe is not? Well, it's a great question. And it goes at the heart of ownership. So I'm glad that you framed that question in that way to, to get that foundation. The owner of the original copyrighted works has the right to determine on what basis and with what restrictions they will afford access to it. So NBA Top Shot is a great example. I and my um, research assistants are pouring over terms of service. We started with NBA Top Shot. It's probably one of the most well-written and they got some good lawyers basically is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> if you compare the terms of service from um, NBA Top Shot to like OpenSea or Rarible, something else, you just have much different language because it's a different purpose and intention. NBA, they are who they are. They will, they will have access so that they can exploit. And I'm not using exploit as a pejorative term. We use that in, in copyright to really extract value from your copyrights and to present those and market those in, uh, to the world, but with certain limitations and restrictions. And their terms of service is actually very clear about what we've been talking about. You have ownership in this non-fungible token that is directly connected to this packet of copyrighted assets. You do not have the right to do X, Y, and Z, but you can, we can trade them. Um, we're gonna assess certain value based, based upon tiers. They set the rules of engagement of how you are going to engage with their copyrighted, with, with their copyrights. And so that actually is not a contradiction, but it is an example of the hyper-protection in some sense versus maybe you have an artist that says, maybe there, there is an artist who said, not only will you have this, this one-of-a-kind digital creation, but you can have all the copyright too. Or maybe they just say, you have the NFT, but I reserve my rights to do X, Y, and Z. So there's a wide spectrum and people should be very, very clear about the rights that they are acquiring when they purchase an, when, when they purchase an NFT. All right, so this is last question 2.0. So then 
going back to the Banksy question again, can artists now come out and start saying, you can own my art, but you can't destroy it? Absolutely. And they can do that as a, as a means of contract here in the United States, because unless um, there's a part of the Copyright Act, we're not going to get wonky here, that has some limited protection of visual art. But absent that, you would have to, by contract, um, and we could build that into a smart contract. You know, there's some the, the, the performative aspects of smart contract. There may have to be an underlying written agreement. I know that's mad um, analog and old school, but those things can work together to um, make clear about the rights and the restrictions or limitations on uh, the use of that copyrighted work. Damn, this is interesting. Tanya Evans, professor from Penn State Dickerson Law and chair of Maker Foundation. Thank you very much for coming on the show, having this conversation. And I really want to go deeper in some of these issues because this is super interesting. Thank you so much for having me. Always happy to hop back on the Zoom with you, my friend. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Aaron. NFTs is an interesting conversation to have. See, I always thought the new ICO boom of the next bull run was going to be DeFi, but it seems that NFT is taking over that spot. NFTs are going crazy. People are minting NFTs out of everything, trying to get rich quick. But the purpose of this episode was to make sure that you're doing it safely and legally. I don't want you to get sued. I don't want you to get scammed. I also don't want you to purchase something that might not be yours. I could only see the space getting wilder. I mean, look at BitCloud. They're monetizing people's likeness without their permission. Every day there's a new tweet. I did not give you permission to do this. Why are you doing this? And they don't even give them a cut of the money that they're earning off of it. So it's like, when is this going to stop? And what is going to be the next level of lawsuits or regulation coming in to try to protect copyright or people's likeness? Anyway, I want everybody to, one, mint legally, purchase legally, and also make sure that you're not getting scammed and you're owning what you think you're owning. I hope this episode helped. And until tomorrow, happy hodling, everyone.